the number one threat to community economic development today is digital exclusion. So if, if you do not address that, it's going to be really hard for you to not only catch up, but just start getting some traction in this digital age. This is a bonus episode in our special Community Broadband Bits podcast series, Why NC Broadband Matters. I'm Lisa Gonzalez with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in Minneapolis, Minnesota. NC Broadband Matters is a North Carolina nonprofit. Their mission is to attract, support, and champion the universal availability of affordable, reliable, high-capacity Internet access necessary for thriving local communities, including local businesses and a local workforce so each can compete in the global economy. The group has created the North Carolina Chapter of CLIC, the Coalition for Local Internet Choice. The Institute is working with NC Broadband Matters to produce this series focusing on issues affecting people in North Carolina that also impact folks in other regions. This week, we have a bonus episode. Recently, Christopher traveled down to Raleigh, North Carolina to attend the ReConnect Forum organized by the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State University. We want to thank organizers for all their dedication in setting up an event that was so well put together and offered a great opportunity for advocates, experts, and scholars to connect. While Christopher was there, he connected with Roberto Gallardo from Purdue University. Roberto is a digital inclusion expert who has studied the intersections between infrastructure development and digital inclusion. He and Christopher discuss a range of topics, including how communities can use data to tailor digital inclusion plans specific to their needs. They talk about the importance of digital inclusion in making infrastructure development sustainable and the need for champions to drive digital inclusion efforts. Now here's Christopher with Roberto Gallardo. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. This is Chris Mitchell from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance talking to you from North Carolina State University, NC State, where we're at the Institute for Emerging Issues. And we are uh, at at an interesting forum called the ReConnect Forum, where we're going to be talking about technology. And, And I happen to be here with Roberto Gallardo, professor of Purdue University, wonderful Big Ten school. But I first got to know you when you were in Mississippi. So welcome to the show, Roberto. Thank you. I appreciate the invite, Chris. So remind me, before you were at Purdue, what were you doing? I was at Mississippi State University. I was part of the uh, extension service as a community development specialist, uh, working with primarily rural communities, helping them, you know, in community and economic development efforts. And now that you're at Purdue, what are you doing there? Same, same broad mission, it seems like, in a lot of ways, trying to help people understand the value of the internet and why they should be using it more. Correct. So basically what I was doing in Mississippi, I've been continuing doing at Purdue, yes, through the extension service. Let me ask you to just tell me a little bit about what you're going to present on here at the event, and then we'll talk more generally about the, the work that you've been doing. So sure. What are you doing here in North Carolina today? I'm one of the first speakers, and I was asked to kind of provide an overview of what broadband is at the very basic level to ensure that the audience kind of, you know, they're all on the same page with certain terms and technicalities of it. I've been asked to distinguish uh, what access and adoption are. They've also asked me to crunch some numbers and kind of present to set the stage for for the other speakers coming later today and the other breakout sessions. You focus a lot on uh, whether people are using the Internet or not. And I'm, I'm curious, what do you see in North Carolina? Is it different than what you see in other states? No, in fact, I did crunch the numbers compared to Virginia and South Carolina, and and in some metrics, North Carolina is doing better. Uh, Some metrics, I mean, you know, the percent of homes with no computer devices, no computing devices, or percent of homes that are not subscribing or no internet access. 
Uh, we also crunch numbers on the FCC data, which we all know uh, that we've got to really take it with a grain of salt. So, so North Carolina is doing really well. I am very impressed by the office of broadband here in, in North Carolina from Minnesota. I think from my perspective, Minnesota and North Carolina are two of the leading states when it comes to state broadband offices and all the innovative, cool stuff that they do. Right. In Minnesota, I think we're one of the first states to develop the matching grant program. Here in North Carolina, I think they've been a little bit more aggressive on mapping issues and um, and trying to figure out what's going on on the ground in, in some ways. Correct. And, and they've developed a phenomenal toolkit for communities to start understanding the process. Uh, you know, as you may agree or may have seen, um, most rural communities specifically just go down the rabbit hole of infrastructure and they overlook the other components of what a true digital inclusion strategy should be. But that's understandable because their connectivity is not at the level that they want it to be. So, but on, on, on that on that front, the office here of North Carolina has been very, very progressive in the sense of generating materials to help these local communities, empowering these local communities to kind of understand the concept and, and really keep other issues as well as infrastructure in mind. Now, I think probably a lot of people who listen to this show are more focused on the infrastructure build out and those sorts of things. You tend to be more focused on whether or not people are using what's available to them. So just give me a a quick argument of why that's important at all. Why should we care about that? Well, of course, any broadband infrastructure investment will not be sustainable if you do not couple it with true digital inclusion efforts, meaning Do you have the devices to use it? Do you have the knowledge? Do you have the motivation? Those three are critical. And so what I always tell communities, yes, take care of the infrastructure, but do not overlook these because that investment will not be sustainable or will not work out as you're hoping if you do not address these other issues as well. So that is very, very important. And through this work is that I've been able to kind of beat the drum constantly in the communities that I've had the honor to work with is yes, go down the infrastructure, but as you know, ironically, unless they go through a full-blown municipal broadband network or county uh, network, um, honestly, they do not control the infrastructure dance. They're not. And so what I tell them is if you manage to mobilize folks and get up and running the infrastructure, diversify your activities because it may fizzle, and it may fizzle because you're not controlling that process. You're going to be waiting. And unfortunately, I've seen many communities from a textbook perspective, they've checked all their boxes, Chris. They've done everything they've been asked to do, Mm -hmm. and they're still waiting. And so what I tell them is, well, pivot a little bit, you know, look at devices and look at digital skills. How can you incorporate these these uh, strategies into a larger community economic development effort? And that will ensure your community transitions to a digital mindset. Otherwise, you're trying to drive your car through the rearview mirror, right? And, mm-hmm. and so it's not possible. And so what you're saying is, just to be clear, the communities where they they may or may not have built their own network, they are needing to do extra work aside from worrying about the infrastructure. Uh, Many of the people who listen to this show actually um, are are people who are in communities where they're probably not going to build their own network or they're a private service provider who's working with communities. And so I guess one of the questions I, I have then is, as um, who is the best entity to be really developing a digital inclusion strategy? Because it's not always just the people that are best at building infrastructure, I'm guessing. That's exactly right. And that's a, that's a great question. It, it'll vary. 
Um, I'll sound like a politician now. You know, it depends. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, 25,000 different jurisdictions yeah. are not all the same. <laughs> but I will tell you this. That's the common denominator. You need a local champion. And it's not rocket science. You need somebody that takes the lead. And that may be the local economic developer. That may be the local government. Mm-hmm. That may be a nonprofit. That may be extension. That may be somebody, I've seen it across my work, that there is always a group of folks that understand and are beating the drum. When that happens, it shows itself will vary. But the best practices or lessons learned from this is you don't know what you don't know. So if, if these local folks that are a little bit more receptive to changing their mindset do are not aware that it's not all about infrastructure, then they're not going to beat the drum, mm-hmm. right? And so in my experience is getting a group of folks at the level of awareness they need to have, and then it'll take very different forms. You know, NDIA, of course, you've got a lot of nonprofits, local governments, big cities that have departments that do this. Right, the National Digital Inclusion Alliance. Correct. Right? <laughs> um, and then you've got, uh, I've seen rural communities. I'm working with a community in, 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 in Indiana right now that they convened a broadband task force. They, their purpose was infrastructure, but then they worked on towards a broader, and they just adopted a digital inclusion plan, a five-year digital inclusion plan. So what is needed is a core group of folks that can beat the drum locally that mm-hmm. are trusted, right, and that they can then take the necessary steps to get the community kind of position to to go down that road. And when we when you talk about digital inclusion, I think the image that that pops in a lot of our heads is is uh, maybe a family, maybe an older individual who is not very familiar with technology, may have a low income, maybe on a fixed income and and it's sort of a, an issue of literacy and and a, and a device knowledge and that sort of a thing. Is digital inclusion more than that? Yes, and I'm glad you asked that question. I consider the term digital inclusion, I do know that many times it is it is seen as efforts to, to help those less fortunate, right? Mm-hmm. Almost charity, although I hate that because it's not about charity. It's actually about us all being stronger. It's not. To me, digital inclusion is that plus ensuring that your moms and pops can compete in the local digital economy. If you're not being digital inclusive, that means they do not have a, a basic knowledge of online presence. Um, to me means, uh, aside from the small businesses and moms and pops, every worker, do they have the digital skills needed? You know, I think you've seen the Brookings report that two-thirds of jobs between 2010 and 2016 required medium to high digital skills. So yes, it is a less fortunate, but to me, digital inclusion is broader than that. And it's more of a concept of becoming self-aware that you've got to be digital inclusive in all these fronts, not only the less fortunate, uh, to ensure then that your community can transition and prosper in the digital age. Right. I think you even extend it to small and local businesses, don't you? Correct. Yeah, moms and pops, they're, they're, they're typically overlooked. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another economic development rant I'm not going to go over right now. But yes, so to me, that's that. It's local government. Are you engaging digitally with your citizens? Right? Mm-hmm. Do you have that mindset? Do you have the capability? Are you at that comfort level? I had a, a fantastic project in Nebraska with three rural communities. We learned so much, Chris. So to me, digital inclusion is, is just the entire ecosystem. And I am trying to, from a conceptual point of view, embed digital inclusion into traditional community economic development strategies. And so in terms of how we should fund this, what are the economic benefits to a community that, that may be needed to justify putting some money into these efforts? 
Um, the, the funding is, is very interesting. What I've learned from my public policy area is, uh, you know, you've got to frame it in a way that gets the policymakers' attention. And the way that this has worked is through workforce development. Um, that one has, has gained some traction, but it's kind of a little bit narrow. It's like a laser focus on it, but it's still it's something. Um, what I tell communities is the number one threat to community economic development today is digital exclusion. So if, if you do not address that, it's going to be really hard for you to not only catch up, but just start getting some traction in this digital age. And so it is a hard sell because many times the mindset, it's still from the past century. Mm-hmm. And so it's a constant awareness education uh, to kind of let them know once they realize this, they do also realize that there's a lot of assets they didn't know they had. Right. They don't know that small businesses turn over devices every five years, four years. They have tech savvy volunteers that are itching to do this, either sure. a hackathon or do this or do. But they don't realize that because they're not looking for that. Is, uh, is the best place to start maybe the library? Libraries are a key, key player in this role. They, they are at the front lines. Um, yes, the library is a good uh, organization to keep in mind. Churches are also big. If you spin it on the cyberbullying kind of aspect of it, they will buy into it. And they have their own little network that they reach out to. Well, not little. You know, it's many times it's everything in, 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 in other communities. So churches, local government, uh, libraries are key community colleges, schools, you know, all these moving pieces need to be digital inclusive aware. That way they can address this issue in a coordinated way and they're not kind of pedaling on their own little. Their own little unicycle? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One last thing is many communities, no matter how small they are, they do understand certain data or certain scores. So the data is not the best. Mm-hmm. I wish it were better. <laughs> right. In terms of the data of, of where it's available and what the costs are. Correct. That plus adoption. We do not know how they're using it. Is it productive use? It's not productive. We don't have kind of national survey that sets the benchmark. I know NTIA, the National Telecommunication Information Administration, they do have some data there that kind of shows. Um, but at the local level, we're, we don't know. We're fumbling in the dark. Mm-hmm. And so that's a key issue because many policymakers do understand if you show them that data, they will go, oh, I didn't know we were in that shape. And so this would be data that would show how important it is for, for all families to have this access and be able to use it. Correct. I mean, obviously, it's starting to trickle down in a way or trickle up, however you want to see it, the homework gap. That's a very, uh, very critical issue. It's catchy in the sense that, that people are Oh, oh, now I see. So from there, you can use that as entrance and then mm-hmm. broaden it and say, well, it's not only students, right? It's families, right? It's people, maybe older folks that are missing out on some telehealth opportunities. Right. That's what I was going to go to next. Yep. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of you just need to be know the local context and find a way to get in there. If you come in and just say you've got to be digital inclusive, it, it's going to be like, wait, wait, wait a minute. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. So you've got to kind of find ways either through data or case studies or whatever at the local level to be able to say, look, see, this is an issue, right? Yeah, well, that's digital. Digital inclusion would address this. And then they go, oh, what else would it address? Okay, well, let me get started, right? And then you kind of broaden it up, yeah. Now, for people who want to know a little bit more about your work, you did a big report last year, right? So we can, we can encourage people to check that out. Do you remember what the title of it was? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one was a very interesting project. We took FCC data, and I always tell them this is not the best data. This actually is the best case scenario you're looking at. From this, it's really downhill. Right. Um, <laughs> um, and, and I always use the analogy, I would not use this data to go to Mars, but I, I, would, I would use it to, to you know, start talking about going to Mars. And, and, and so that's a big difference. If you can get these conversations started, that's a big thing. But uh, pcrd.purdue.edu, you can go in there and check us out. Or Purdue Extension Community Development, we have some very cool digital inclusion programs through Extension that we've developed as well. Great. Thank you so much for your time today. No, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to this bonus episode of our Why Broadband Matters podcast series and for listening to the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Remember to follow Christopher on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. And if you follow at NCHeartsGB on Twitter, you'll tap into all the NC Broadband Matters material. We want to thank Shane Ivers of SilvermanSound.com for the series music, What's the Angle?, licensed through Creative Commons. And we want to thank you for listening. Until next time.